today's episode is brought to you by Jimmy Bean's Wool. Started in 2002, Jimmy Bean's Wool has been your go-to local yarn shop online for nearly two decades. They've got thousands of yarns to choose from in a variety of brands, weights, colors, and price points, along with everything you need to create and finish the perfect project. They're now offering free U.S. shipping to all Craft Industry Alliance podcast listeners. Head to jimmybeanswool.com slash craftindustryalliance to get crafting. Thank you so much, Jimmy Beans Wool. And now, here's the show. Welcome to episode 180 of the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals where you can strengthen your creative business, stay up to date on industry news, and build connections within our supportive trade association. Check it out at craftindustryalliance.org. Today on the show, we're talking about building a knitting business with my guest, Louis Boria. After going viral for knitting during his daily subway commute from Brooklyn to Manhattan in late 2017, 45-year-old Puerto Rican knitwear designer and philanthropist Louis Boria, also known as Brooklyn Boy Knits, has turned his passion for fiber arts into a platform where he now works with the community. He uses his platform to break down gender norms and tackle issues related to diversity and inclusion within the fiber arts community. Throughout his journey from novice knitter to designer to TEDx speaker and influencer, he's focused on helping others. He believes that creativity can help heal wounds, both our own and society's. Boya has collaborated with fiber artists, fiber industry leaders, community partners, and school districts to provide an interactive, engaging, and fun program that teaches young students to value differences. Be sure to check out Lewis's TEDx talk, Making the Most of Your Moment, which can be found on YouTube. Lewis Boria, welcome. Thank you, Abby. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for coming. I'm really excited to talk to you and talk all about your journey. It's so, so cool. Um, So let's start from the beginning. Um, I know that you are Puerto Rican. Where did you grow up? Did you grow up in New York? I did. I did. I I was born and raised in Brooklyn. Um, when I was a little bit younger, uh, I would say around seven years old, my parents, uh, moved out to Pennsylvania for a little bit of time. And then I came right back to, to, to Brooklyn and I lived with my grandmother for some time. Um, and I've never left. I've never left. <laughs> it's, it's always been, you know, I call, I call Brooklyn, you know, my, my heart and soul. Um, I just love, love living in New York and, and everything about being a Brooklynite, as they say. <laughs> and, um, and what did your parents do for work when you were growing up? What were they doing? So my, my, uh, my stepfather, um, he works for, uh, one of the biggest candy factories in America, which is Just Born Candy. Um, they actually are the masterminds behind Peeps. I don't know if, if you guys Oh are yeah, of course. So he um, he's been working with the company for well over thirty years now, and um, my mother has always been in the healthcare industry, um, working in hospital administration, um, and so pretty much we all kind of followed route uh, in terms of what we were going to do for work, and we all pretty much work in the hospital. My brother, my sister, myself, we've all 
worked in some form of of, uh, of medical of the medical field. So and um, that's what you do we, now too, right? Like you work at correct. a hospital. What what is your do? You, you still have a day job, correct? I do, I do. I, I've been working at Mount Sinai Hospital uh, in Manhattan for the past uh, twelve years uh, as an executive assistant. Um, I love my job. I love my job, and it's great because um, it keeps me on my toes. I, I manage payroll, so. I'm in charge of making sure that everybody gets paid <laughs> in my department. So it's so it's a pretty important job, I would say. Um, yeah. It's, it could be challenging sometimes, but um, I, I try to do my best. <laughs> do you feel like having a stable income and benefits and things like that has sort of helped you not put so much pressure on the knitting side of your life? Or are you aiming at some point to make your knitting business your full-time gig? Well, you know, um, my knitting has been able uh, to help supplement a lot of the fun stuff in my life, right? So, like, you know, I I, I do get paid well, you know, with it, um, from the hospital, but the knitting is what is what drives me, right? So, like the 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 money that I make from my business, um, when I'm whether I'm pattern writing or um, whether I'm you know selling pieces or you know, collaborations, whatever that may look like at the time, um, that helps me travel. That helps me get the things that I'm like, oh, I don't have to worry about, you know, going out to a nice restaurant and, and being able to sit down with friends and have a, a good meal without having to worry about, well, is this going to break the bank? You know, because at the end of the day, like, um, you know, knitting, you know, it could be it could you could be in a good place in this industry. Um with the right connections, I would say, or maybe with the right collaborations, um, but it's a it's a tough industry to to to, yeah. um, to to really like say, well, can I give up my day job? Yeah, it's tough, right? And I can't say that. Like, I'll be honest with you. Like, I want to get to that place, and I feel like I'm starting to move my way there. Um, but I, I'm very honest in, in, in when I talk to people and they're like, oh, well, well, where do you see yourself 10 years from now? And, and that's a good question. And, I, and as much as I would love to answer that question, you just never know. Right. right. Absolutely. Know. Yeah. And I so I want to talk a little bit about sort of the trajectory that you've been on. So um, so how did you learn how to knit? It sounds like maybe um, maybe one of your was it was it your grandmother? Did she introduce you to, to knitting or was it somebody else? Oh, my my grandmother introduced me to the fiber arts. Um, she's a, she crochets, right? So when I was about, and I and I tell the story, I think I was, I must have been like 14 years old and I had spent the summer with her and it was just her and I and, and I was working at a, at a day camp uh, during the day in the summer and, and, you know, there was just weekends would come and I'd spend my whole time with my grandmother and she's like, all right, I'm going to teach you how to crochet and just to entertain the thought, I was like, fine, why not? And I did. And, you know, it was just one of those things where it's like, you know, you learn a new trick and then it's like, okay, done, it's back in my pocket and I'm, and I walk away from it. And that's how I, I, I was with crochet. I, you know, she taught me one time. I, until this day I could pick up, you know, a hook and I can, I, I know how to, how to chain and I know how to do uh single and double crochet, but that's, that's as far as it goes with crochet. Um, so I never looked back at it. So at 14 years old, I was like, I picked it up. I learned real quick. I just to appease my grandmother, and I and it was fun. But that as quickly as I picked up that hook was as quickly as I put it back down. Um, and it wasn't until um, my early thirties um, when I, you know, I, I talk about this all the time. Where I, I woke up one morning from a dream I had of me knitting, literally knitting, and 
you wake up from those dreams sometimes where it's like, did, did that just happen? Like it, it felt so real. And I felt like this connection to knitting that I had never felt before. It's not like I wanted to learn how to knit at the time. It's not like I saw somebody knitting or, you know, I had an interest in it. It was nothing like that. It was just this random dream that I had of me knitting. And all I saw was my hands working with the yarn and the knitting needles. And I literally woke up feeling like I know how to knit. Like I, it was weird. It was just like, man, maybe if I tried learning, I maybe I'd be good at it. And long story short, I went to Michael's. I picked up yarn and knitting needles. And and I literally sat in front of a, a computer and I hopped onto YouTube. And I started the journey of learning how to knit through YouTube ch- through uh, YouTube videos. And, and had you had you seen like hand knitting? Like, I mean, had you maybe been somewhere where somebody was knitting or, you know, like looked, admired some knitting that you'd seen somewhere and been like, oh, that's so pretty. Or I don't know, seen it somewhere before then? Well, my best friend, um, she dibbled and dabbled into knitting. um, And it was just one of those things like, oh, that's pretty. But it wasn't a thing where I was like, oh, I want to learn how to knit. You see what I'm saying? It yeah, was just like, it just was sort of, but it was like around you a little bit at least. Right. Nothing. It, it never. It was. It wasn't something that sparked my curiosity. In other words, right. Um, it was like it was the dream that sparked my curiosity. So interesting. That, it's like entered your subconscious. <laughs> it really did, and 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 I instantly, Abby, I instantly felt the minute. I turned on my first year and I had no idea what I was looking at. Even I still remember walking into Michael's and having no clue what right. I was buying. There's so much yarn. There's so many different size needles. I'm like, well, I'm just going to grab whatever looks nice. And I picked, I think it was like a size 11 needle because it, it was like blue or green. And I was like, oh, these are a nice color. I'm just going to grab <laughs> these. What are you <laughs> looking at the size? Had no idea what Well, because you doing. wouldn't even know like what the different right. numbers meant or anything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it was like, I was like, oh, I'll just pick my favorite color. And I, that's what I thought it was about. I was like, well, pick your favorite color. But I had no idea that there were all these different sizes and the colors corresponded to the size of the needle. So I had no idea what I was doing, obviously. Um, you know, so I laugh about that now. And now it's like, oh, you don't mess with my needles. Like I have a certain, I have like, oh, yeah, because of- they're your pro yeah. tools, right? <laughs> right. Right. So, um, but yeah, it was just like the minute I, I hopped onto that first video and I cast it on. I was hooked. I was like, that's it. Like I, and I started knitting and like, I literally picked it up within minutes. It wasn't like I was a really fast learner. Um, I'm a very visual learner. um, And that's just the way I work. My brain works that way. If I see somebody do it once, I'll get it. And so watching these videos, like I just literally went down a rabbit hole and it was like I was discovering this world that I had no idea existed. And it was such a beautiful, you know, it was such a beautiful journey from the beginning. And I, and I love every part of my journey. And I always tell, you know, young um, students of mine and, and, and those students that are picking up knitting for the very first time, I tell them, enjoy the process. Like, don't be in such a rush to make a sweater or, you know, make a hat like Learn the basics. That's the beauty of of the fiber arts is 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 getting from one level to the next. And I even myself as a designer now, I'm still learning. I'm still evolving. I'm still processing. Oh, that's the thing um, with knitting is like it's a lifelong process. It, it, you can it, learn forever. Yeah. Right. And so 
you know, it's just the, you know, it's it's the one it's the one thing in my life that I can say is mine, right? We all have that thing in life where um, we we like to call our own. You know, our work. You know, for many of hopefully for many of us, we can say that our work is our life, right? But but that we enjoy it. Not that we're making it our life, but that we enjoy what we're doing so much to the point that you can say, oh, this is mine. But for for so many people out there in the world, you know, it's it's a craft. It's a hobby. It's a sport. Um, it could be reading. It could be anything like that um, that says this is my thing that when you pick it up or when you pick up that book and you start to read that book that you're like you're in your Zen, you're in your moment and, and nothing in the world can take you away from that. And that's when you find that thing in your life that you say, this is it. Right. You know, and and I always say, well, what if you could just take that one thing in your life that you love so much, that you're so passionate, that brings you joy, that brings you happiness, and turn it into into a career or turn it into something that's tangible uh, in terms of monetary substance, right? What if we could do that? And and you know, people's light, eyes light up like, yeah, that's the ultimate goal. And there's, I always tell people that it's possible, you know, don't ever, don't ever second guess, you know, um, your ability to turn your passion into, into, into a business. And, and I was able to do that. I was able to find an outlet where I was able to do that and connect everything that I love about knitting, whether it's working with the community, whether it's working in schools, um, you know, my website, you know, I got different thing collaborations happening and I love it all. And, you know, one of the biggest questions that people ask me is like, um, does it ever feel like work? And I'm like, what do you mean? Does it feel like work? I'm like, knitting has never felt like that for me. And if ever your passion ever feels like, oh, I got to get up and I have to do that, then you're doing something wrong. Yeah. Right? No, I, I totally, yeah, I totally hear you on that. That's you're a yeah, you know right. you're you're doing the right thing when it doesn't feel like work. You would pay them to be able to do it, <laughs> you know. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a hundred percent true. Yeah. You know, I think it's really important that you know you never turn your passion into this thing where it's like, oh, I got to get up and Drudgery. I have to do this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Totally. And so, okay, so you went to Michael's and you bought these rando materials <laughs> like most beginners do and you learned on YouTube. And um, I have a few questions there. So one is, um, did you have a sense when you first began that it was fairly unusual for men to knit or at least in, in modern times. I don't think it was actually unusual always for men to knit, but at least now it is. Or did you have any feeling like about knitting, you know, in public when you were first beginning that people might like look askance or something? I did. I did. I mean, I, I remember even that first visit to Michael's um, and I've been to Michael's before, um, but now I'm entering Michael's in a, you know, through a whole set, uh, different uh, a vision now. Now I'm now I'm in the yarn aisle, right? And you know I've never went down that yarn aisle before, be, you know, before the 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 dream that I had. And here I am. I'm standing in the aisle, and I sur I'm surrounded by women, right? There's women around me, and you know, so I, I realized that there weren't people like me. You know what I mean? A guy, you know, a Hispanic guy in a yarn in a yarn aisle at Michael's, looking at yarn and knitting needles. And it was just kind of this this odd moment for me where it was just like, all right, let me just get my yarn and get out of here. <laughs> it's just like, not, not that I was, 
I sort of was like a little bit like, you know, I didn't want to get questions. Um, you know, like, well, what are you doing here? Or people just look at me like, why is this guy standing next to Yarn when, you know, this is this is traditionally done by women and, and done by, old, you know, the way the world perceives it, right, is older women. Unfortunately, that's that's how we see it, right? Um, depicted in cartoons or depicted in, in comic strips or whatever. Like, you always see the little old lady on a rocking chair knitting away. Um, and that was my, my perception only because, um, you know, I was seeing it through the eyes of what the world was seeing, right, in a whole. And we all know, we all know, crochets and knitters out there all know that that's not the case, especially nowadays. You don't see that. It's not, that is not the only perception that we're seeing once you've entered the fiber arts world. So, you know, yeah, I, I did have reservations. I I felt a little ashamed. I'm not going to lie. Like, it was just like, well, there's nobody like me, uh, you know. So going on the on a train and having a project in my bag um, I was not pulling that project out in the beginning. I was just like, the only time I'm doing it is when I'm in, at, at home in my in my in my apartment, no one's around me, or during lunch at my uh, at my job when I can sit in the conference room, knowing that nobody else is entering the conference room during my lunch hour. Um, so it was always done in private, and I and so I never looked at it at that time as me hiding, but I was, I truly was hiding from the world and hiding my knitting. As much as I loved it so much and as much as, as I had this newfound passion for it, I was there was still a bigger part of me at the time that was ashamed and associated knitting with a female-dominated craft. Yeah. And I mean, and, and in essence, it, re- it really is a more female-dominated craft, right? When we look at the numbers and we look at the scope of, you know, the fiber arts world, it's pretty much dominated by women. Yes. Yeah, it still is. Um, yeah. But, Right. So so I I knew that. And, you know, growing up, you know, in in Latino culture, um, it's very um, it's very black and white. And what I mean by that is that, you know, you know, the men in in, in most Latin culture is like, well, you're supposed to be, you know, play sports and you can't do this. If you if you pick up a craft and, you know, you're going to be they're going to make fun of you. Right. And they're going to call you girly boy or whatever the case is. And so it's growing up and seeing that and seeing how other boys in around my age at the time growing up would, would be made fun of for taking dance classes or for joining the drama team. It was like, Oh, you're that way. And it's kind of like, what do you mean that way? And I had to deal with that growing up. Like, I was into, you know, I sang in, in the high school choir. I participated in drama club. I did all that. And even growing up, I was made fun of. So now as an adult, I find this new craft that I fell in love with. And now it's like, oh, my God, I'm back. I feel like I'm back in high school again. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm back I in do. high school. Yeah. Putting myself in this this little box again. And it's scary. Yeah, it's, it's scary. There's yeah. shame. There's, there's shame. And shame's a really powerful feeling. Yeah. It, it, it is. And and I can tell you, Abby, like, I I didn't like it. As an adult, I thought I was over that. I really did. I really did thought I was over it. I thought I had, you know, overcome that part of my life. And here I am with a, with a new craft in my hands that I love so much. 
and I'm putting myself back in that box again. And it wasn't until, you know, a year later where I'm literally sitting on the train and the train comes to a halt and we're like stuck now. And I'm just there. I'm like, all right, what am I doing? Nothing. People are looking down on their phones. People are reading a book. Here I am with a project in my bag. And I'm like, that's it. I'm taking it out. And I'm like sweating bullets. I'm like literally not in my stomach because I'm afraid <laughs> that I'm going to start looking at me, making fun of me. And I tell the story that the minute I, t- I you know, when I took that, that project out of my bag and I started knitting, like I completely forgot about my surroundings. As you all know, knitting, you know, it centers you and it's your form of therapy that anything that's happening is just like you could have the worst day possible. And the minute that you start knitting, it's like, oh, it's gone. Right. Like you don't. Right. And so that's what was happening that moment on the train that I started knitting. And yes, I was very nervous and my knot, knots in my stomach and I'm sweating and I'm like um, thinking the worst. And the minute I just started doing a couple of roses, like that it just started like leveling me out. And then I realized, oh, knitting. And then I look up and people were, were looking at me, but they weren't looking at me the way I thought they were looking at me. It was like, oh, wow, this is nice. Like people smiling at me. And then I had, you know, a woman come up to me. She's like, oh my God, what are you making? It's so pretty. And I'm like, thank you. And it was, it started this conversation and that was it. That was it. It's like, I, I broke the chains at that, that day I broke the chains. And it was like, my world just completely changed right after that. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's where I transitioned from, you know, having a craft to having a passion. Right. My passion just just exploded after that and it was just like i felt a sense of freedom and i was like oh no i can hit anywhere i don't care who you know who's watching me like <laughs> right. it was just like it felt so good and knitting um, became part of your identity because you could do it in public and 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 sort of admit that it was part of you i want to take a minute now to talk about our sponsor jimmy beans wool Jimmy Beans has been around for just shy of two decades. It started as a small local yarn shop in the tiny town of Truckee, California, and it's still family owned and operated by Laura and Doug Zander. Today, Jimmy Beans is a 20,000 square foot warehouse and a retail space in Reno, Nevada. Della Q, Madeline Tosh, and Smart Sticks all joined the Jimmy Beans family of brands within the last two years. Della Q has some neat things coming up. They are launching a line of maker-specific handbags this fall. Each one comes with a built-in yarn feeder, yarn cutter, and spare stitch markers. They're made of sturdy wax canvas and come in a collection of timeless colors. For Madeline Tosh, they recently announced a new collection with Josh Bennett, featuring two sweaters, a hoodie, and the coziest of blanket patterns. Seasonal holiday advent calendars for knitters and crocheters are also available now at Jimmy Beans. Cast on is December 1st, and craft vent calendars come with all the yarn needles or hooks, notions, and treats that you will need to complete a stunning shawl by Amy Gunderson if you're knitting, or Coco Crochet Lee if you're crocheting. Jimmy Beans 2021 clubs include a blanket, shawl, and accessory club, are going to be announced this month, which is November 2020. You get free shipping in the U.S. 
They carry basically a huge selection of indie and hand-dyed and big brand yarns, needles, and hooks in all sizes, notions, accessories, and more. So head over to jimmybeanswool.com for all things knitting and crocheting, and definitely sign up for the Jimmy Beans Wool newsletter to keep up with everything that they have going on. Jimmy Beans Wool is your local yarn shop online. Thank you so much, Jimmy Beans. And now back to my conversation with Lewis. Did you, I'm assuming then you needed more yarn. And so did you um, go into a local yarn shop? Did you discover local yarn shops at some point in this period? Okay. Right. So it wasn't until I would say like about a year and a half after um, my first trip to Michael's that I, I found um, I found this knitting shop called Knit Away in Brooklyn. And I just happened one day to be walking down um, Atlantic Avenue, which is a really busy shopping area in Brooklyn. And um, I, I said, oh, is that it's a yarn shop? I'm like, whoa. And you're like, so it never dawned on me. Like The only yarn shops I used to think of was like Michael's or Joann's or AC Moore, like these these bigger chain um yeah and and i think it's most beginners that's where they go and i think it's always really important for those of us who are in the craft to re always remind ourselves and realize that that's where beginners start and that those shops play a really important role in the journey of somebody who then gets sucked in and becomes an official like a person who's a huge you know hobbyist and and does patronize local shops and pattern designers and get sucked into the world. But they start where you started. Right. And and there's nothing wrong with, with no. buying yarn from, you know, from these. And I still do. Like, for instance, you know, I, you know, we talk a lot about, um, you know, yarn shaming, right? And, and and it's something, it's a topic that a lot of people don't like talking about when it Can comes to Can you explain yarn. what yarn shaming is for people who haven't yeah, heard so, about it? So, so, yeah, so yarn shaming is, you know, we have in our industry we have different pr- price points when it comes to yarn, right? So our acrylic bases, um, yarn, basically the yarn that you would find at Michaels or Joann's or your local AC Moore or Hobby Lobby, like those types of chains, uh, craft store chains, um, focus mostly on acrylic base yarns, right? So they're they're on the lower end, right? And then you have your local yarn shops. Now, the local yarn shops are going to carry your more high-end uh, uh, yarns such as wool and different um, bases like uh, alpaca, cotton, um, you know, silk, cashmere. Um, and you're talking about going from a skein of yarn that you could buy at a Michaels for like, let's say, average around five bucks um, to an average skein of yarn at a local yarn shop at around $30. Now, there's nothing wrong with um, with either or, you know, based on what you want to do, right? And I, till this day, still use acrylic-based yarns for projects like for baby sweaters or baby blankets because a baby skin is, is tends to be sensitive and you can't really use wool on a baby skin because it, it could be a little scratchy on their skin, right? And some babies may be allergic to, to natural fibers. Um, so... Um, what we're seeing a lot is, is in nowadays is like there are many people that find that these higher end yarn um, are more expensive and they don't understand why they're more expensive. And I want to talk a little bit about that for a second. Um, you know, so, 
you know, there's there's been an argument as to, well, why is, you know, indie dyed yarn so expensive and why does it have to be so expensive? And um, even myself, I'm not going to lie, grow, like when I first started and I first discovered what indie dye dyed yarn was, I was like, I'm not paying $35 for a skein of yarn. That's too much money, right? This was my mindset back then. This is like year two into knitting. And um, it wasn't until a woman broke it down to me and, and explained to me why it's so why why the price point is is a little bit higher than a skein of yarn from Michaels. And when she told me about the process of what an indie dyer goes through um, to make that one skein of yarn, I was breaking a sweat just thinking about it. I was like, wow. I was like, and and so that you have this newfound respect for why um, you know the price point is what it is for indie dyed yarn, and I have no problem spending $30, $35 on a skein of yarn because I know the amount of work that went into dyeing that one skein of yarn. I know what it takes because I started dabbling, dipping and dabbing into dyeing yarn myself. And I said, you know what? Let me try this out myself and let me see what this is all about, right? And when I realized the process that that I went through to make three skeins of yarn, it took me a couple of hours, not, not 20 minutes. And that's what, like, from the process of, you know, putting in, you know, measuring your water and adding citric acid and then measuring out the, the, the dye and soaking the yarn and then taking it out and then washing and then drawing it. And then it was just, it's, it, it, it two hours is, is an under, I'm underestimating it. It's more than that. Plus creating it's, these like unique recipes. It's an it, art form. It, it, yeah. Yeah. And people don't quite realize that when they first begin, of course they wouldn't. Right. And so if you're knitting something too, that's going to take hundreds of hours, right. Um, then you should use materials that are truly special because think of the time investment that you're putting into it. Right. Exactly. And, and I, and I, you know, I, you know, I, I see both sides and I, I do understand that, you know, of course there are great alternatives out there. There are great alternatives and it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, you have to buy that $30 skin of yarn. There are great um, um, uh, options out there for you to choose from. Um, You don't want to work with acrylic, but you don't want to spend that much money on a skin of yarn, then let's find a medium. There's entry points for everybody, basically, is I think what you're saying. Yeah. And what I love about this industry is that we have so many great yarn companies and indie dyers out there with great price points that I find that there's a there's a place for everyone in this industry. Absolutely. Right? And we should be welcoming to anybody who wants to get started or wants to make something because it's, as you said, like that feeling that you had when you were on the subway is a feeling that we should want everybody to have because it's such yeah. a good feeling. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. And having that yarn on your side and I still, I have in my stash, I have a bunch of Lion Brand, super chunky yarn. I use it all. I, and I have, I'm a fan of it. Like, and I, and I'll never get rid of my acrylic yarn. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's, that's there. And I, and I use it still. Like I said, you know, there are certain projects that I'll only use acrylic yarn for. Um, But, you know, and so whenever somebody says, oh, I would never touch acrylic yarn, I stop them in their tracks. I'm like, you need to not say that. And I'm like. There's nothing wrong with acrylic yarn. And I have stopped people in their in, in mid-sentence. I'm like, whoa, what did you just say? And I was like, oh, no. well, no, you can't say that. I said, I happen to love acrylic yarn. 
You know, so when it comes to when I say yarn shaming, it's that. Yeah. Or statements from people that like, oh, I would never use acrylic yarn. Oh, thank There's- you for. Yeah. Thank you for explaining that, because I think it's helpful for people to sort of understand it. And I actually think it takes place not just in knitting, but in all different crafts. Once you sort of really delve into it and get into that sort of super right. user level. Um, <laughs> yeah, that definitely like- happens. Yeah. And For I just sure. want to put it out now to anybody that, that works with acrylic yarns, don't ever let anybody downplay you on that. You know, don't ever let anyone talk to you like that. If they say, oh, I would never work with that. I'm like, why are you working with that yarn? Don't ever, ever yeah. let them say anything. It's just it's not right. And I, I, ha- I stand by acrylic yarn. I, you know, I'm a fan of it. I, it was my first love. A hundred percent. So I want to, I want to get to, so this, this point in your story, because it's a really important point. So you took out your yarn and you were knitting on the subway and you had this long commute, which I'm guessing you probably still have from your day job back home to Brooklyn. And, um, and so you would knit on the subway and this one day, um, somebody, took a photo of you doing that and posted it on the internet. And I think from that moment on, we could probably all say for, for certain that your life really changed forever. Um, and it's, it's so interesting because it's something that probably could happen to anyone. Um, but it happened to you and, you know, it, it's like, what do you do when something like this happens to you and how does it feel? And I'd love to hear from you first, tell us the story of what happened and then kind of what happened next, I guess. Sure. Sure. Um, the turning point was, yes, it was in 2017, um, November, 2017. I, I had just left the gym. It's like, I want to say like six thirty in the evening, I get on the train and at this point in my life, I'm, I'm, I'm as comfortable as they come with my knitting. So the first thing I ever do when I get on the train, any train, is I look for the first available seat. I sit down, I open my bag, and I pull out my project. And that's it. That's just every single day. And how many and, years had you been knitting on the train at that point? God, so I started, we're talking about maybe a good eight years. Okay, so a long time. Yeah. yeah. So it's eight years into it or eight or nine years. And then, um, so I, I get on the train this one evening and I'm in sweats. I'm in, I'm with my duffel bag, my gym bags with me. Um, I got a baseball cap on. There's, you look at me at that time and, and the picture, you could see me in the picture. It's, um, it's still on the internet. Um, it's, it's me in sweats and, you know, I don't look like a typical knitter. I have a baseball cap. I got a full beard. I have like sweats on, I got an army fatigue jacket on. Um, and it's funny because like, you know, I don't think about these things, right? I don't think about who's looking at me. I don't think about who's sitting in front of me watching me knit. I just do it now. Um, so anyways, I sit down, I, I pull out my bag, uh, my project out of my bag, and I start knitting. And the next, you know, the next morning, I go home, I shower, I eat dinner, and I go to bed. Next morning, I wake up, and uh, my phone is just, like, going off. I'm like, what the heck is going on? It just stops. It's, like, going on. I'm getting all these notifications, and I look and my Instagram is like crazy. I, I mean, I went from like, I forget, it was like, I went from like a couple hundred, literally, like I must have had like four to 500 followers at the time, had jumped to like 4,000 followers overnight. 
And I'm like, what? What? This is insane. And then I go, my my friend sends me a text message and he's like, oh my God, dude, you're all over Facebook. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, he's like, you're like all over the internet right now. I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, there was a photo of you sitting on the train and he sends me the picture and he sends me a screenshot of the Facebook uh, post that Frenchie Davis had taken. And it was the photo of me knitting. I was like, dude, that was me last night on the train. I was like, who is this? And then when I realized who it was, I started screaming. I was like, she was sitting in front of me? I'm like, I, like, I had no idea. And so it was that photo that she posted on social media that went viral. And it was just the image. I think it was more of the image of me as a man and dressed in sweats, not looking like a typical knitter, not not caring in the world what he who was looking at it. And the facial expression I had in the picture was like was exactly that. And the caption read, this brother on the train is my hero of the day. And she That's- was an, a, an, from American Idol. And she just took that photo and just rando just like posted it to her feed and it yeah. and it just like transformed your your whole career it's just like really in like a minute exactly and from there it was like i just started getting like calls from like the media and from the new york daily news and they wanted to interview me and that's the new york daily news article was what sparked what ignited as i say in my career um and they came over my home and we, you know, we set up a date and it was my first real interview. And um, for two hours, I sat with the reporter in my living room and I just poured out my heart and told her my story and told her, you know, what it meant to me to be not only a man, um, but also a gay man who's Latino, um, who has to deal with these these issues in his life and trying to get over these humps in his life. And I, and I talked about that transition and it resonated with the reporter so much that she says, Oh my God, she's like, I'm going to do you so much justice with this article. And I remember the conversation she told me right before she left my apartment that night, she says, um, if you need to fix your website right now, now's the time to do it. Because I know that once we release this article, people are going to flock to your website. And so she told me that they were going to release the article that Friday. And um, I was like, great. She's like, I'm going to send you a link so you could take a look at the at the article right before we we print it out. We put it out in print. And I was like, great, great. Friday comes. I don't hear from her. So I'm like, I'm a little worried. I'm like, well, let me just reach out to her and see what's going on. And she, so I send her a message and she doesn't get back to me until Saturday. And she's like, I'm so sorry. She's like, I didn't get back to you any sooner, but... My the editor loved your story so much that he wants to print it in all three editions of the Sunday paper. Wow. Yeah. And that's that to me was like, whoa, the Sunday paper, like all three editions. This is insane. And it just flew from there. I just started getting calls from Fox News and from like Telemundo and like all these big major network stations contacting me, wanting to interview me and it was just like from that point on, it was just like a whirlwind of just emotion and like, what am I going to do with this moment? And um, I, all I kept telling myself at that time was, you have an opportunity here. You have a unique opportunity. The world is watching you. What are you going to do? You know, so many times you hear people going viral for so many different reasons. And some of them may seem silly to a lot of people. And I know I've seen stuff that I'm like, 
wow, this person went viral for that? (laughs) Throwing themselves down a a flight of stairs or something, something like crazy like that. And I'm just like, okay. But I said, I don't want to be that person. I want to take this opportunity and I want to do something really good. Um, So that's when I started working with children at the local local schools here in New York City. And I started, you know, creating programs and teaching kids how to knit and talking about my story to to other other kids, especially young boys who are afraid of, you know, or, or young girls who are afraid of crossing the line into what society says you can and cannot do. You right. know, and I talk about it. You know, I talk about how it's OK for girls to play basketball and it's OK for boys to knit. You know, and, and, and nobody should ever restrict themselves from something that they really want to do or something that they really want to try. So as long as they're not hurting the next person. Right, right. And, yeah, totally. And so I guess a few questions. One, did she get the story right? Did you? She see? did. Okay, she did. that's good. She because sometimes, right. sometimes journalists don't get the story right. And it can be hard. I don't know whether... Some of the f- subsequent, because there was quite a few subsequent stories. I don't know whether all of them got every aspect of the story right, and it can be hurtful sometimes when, when they don't get it right. Um, so I don't know if that happened to you, but, um, but I'm glad she got it right. Yeah, she got it right, and the story itself, like I, I got so much positive feedback, and she was right. My my website exploded. I started getting all these orders. I couldn't keep up with my orders. It was like, because at that time I was doing just custom work and, you know, like I'd make a couple hundred bucks like during the fall and winter and for custom pieces that I would make. And now I literally like quadrupled sales in one night. Like after that, after that, after that uh, the article got released, what I make in one year, I quadrupled in one day. Right. It was it was insane. I was just like, wow, how am I gonna? So like, I had to put out like send out a letter to everybody you know who placed an order, saying just bear with me, it's only me, and and everybody was on board. They were like, yeah, yeah, I'll wait a whole year if I have to. Just to... and it was so it, it was it was a humbling moment for me because for the first time, um, I felt like I was getting the recognition that I needed, you know, and and as 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 an artist, as as a male. Latino, you know, who who I'm like bombarded with all these orders. And I was just like, this is a blessing. And it just made me, I had to regroup my thoughts and I had to figure it out, you know, and it was all a learning process for me. You know, where I am today, you know, where Brooklyn Boy Knits is today took years and it's still, and I'm still learning, right? I'm still learning, you know, certain aspects of my business, you know, and I can't say that, you know, my recipe uh, for success is going to be the next person's recipe for success. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that um, we each have to find like what works for us. You know, oh, and I had to. Yeah, I had to obstacles to get there. You know, and to get to where I am now. And I don't even feel like I'm. I've even scratched the surface yet. But um, I'm coming into myself now, and I'm I'm learning more of who I am and what I like, and 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 more of even the industry itself. You know, this industry. You know learning the ins and outs of it, you know, and, and learning what folks like and what folks don't like. And, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those beautiful journeys that, that I'm going on that I'm enjoying every step of the way. And how did the 60 second doc come about? There was a, you know, there's a, that's a series of 60 second documentaries yeah. and, 
Um, and there's one about you. And I'm wondering how they, do they reach out to you after this happened? Yeah. So it's, it's so funny because when, when I got the email from 60 Second Doc, I was like, this has to be a joke. Because I watch 60 Second Docs all the time. Me too. And I love them. And they're like, you get this one minute story on on a highlight on somebody in the world and they're doing something wonderful. So I'm like, so when they I got the email, I was like, no way, this is insane. So I'm like, absolutely, let's do it. And they were like, we saw your story. We've been following your story on social media and we want to do, um, we'd love to do a segment on you. And I was like, absolutely. So they, they hired somebody in Brooklyn to come, you know, the videographer came and we met up and. He says, uh, do you have any ideas as to where, where you want to be filmed on? I said, definitely on a train, definitely in Coney Island. Um, I live like stops away from Coney Island. So we can go to the Coney Island boardwalk and film there. And just I just I, I just want people to see where I hang out, where where it is that that bring what brings me joy, where do I, with the streets that I walk down. I don't want to be in some fancy like, you know, yarn shop. Yeah, I want to walk into a yarn shop, but I want I want people to see my commute. I want to see my everyday life. And that's, that's, I, that's what I wanted to focus on. And he did such a wonderful job. And till, till this day, it is the number one viewed video of mine that it's right now at like 32 million views. I think that's incredible. Lewis. That's so crazy. crazy. Like when I did, I I had to do a, a search um, on how many times, cause it's a collective, right? So like the video gets shared through so many avenues um, and whether it's Facebook, whether it's through the 60 second doc, a uh, website, uh, Instagram, it gets viewed and they keep like putting it out there. And so at this point it's, it's hit 30 over like 32 million views of the last time that I checked, which is about a year ago. Um, and it was just like, it was, it was awesome. And they did it right too. Like I, I've had no complaints with media as far as taking my story and, highlighting it for what it really is and, and focusing in on my message um, more importantly. And they did a great job. with That's it. great. You know, and my favorite. yeah, speaking of cool opportunities, you are on a Disney plus show, the big fib, which yeah. is super cool. So this show is basically two adults say that they're experts, right? On a particular topic, but only one of them really is. And then the kids get to guess which one is the real expert. Is that how this works? How did this happen? So again, I got I got an email one day from Disney and they said, we have, you know, I'm sure you heard of Disney Plus. And I'm like, absolutely. Um, I'm, I'm a subscriber to Disney Plus. Yeah, so and am I. So, <laughs> So they're like, so like, we have a new game show that we're about to produce, and we'd love to have you on. And so when they sent me the concept of vi- of the of the game show, I was like, oh my gosh, this sounds like so much fun. And just like you explained it, that's exactly how it is. And Abby, I had an amazing time filming that. that so were you like um, a yarn expert or like a fake yarn expert? So, <laughs> so it's 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 the yarn, it's the knitter, it's the knitter episode. Oh, okay. Um, I do what. I do the warm up round, which is really fun. So if anybody that does have Disney Plus out there, it's episode eleven. Okay. Um, on on the Big Fib, um, and I come right in the very beginning of that episode. So it's like the first five minutes of that episode, a couple minutes, and you know it's it's it was fun. There's there's an actor standing next to me, and she's pretending to be the knitter. And so the child, you know, the kid asks us questions, and we have to answer it. And I even do a, like a little demonstration on stage, and it's really fun. And then. I get to talk a little bit about myself at the end and, and that always helps. And it was fun. It was, it was, it was definitely 
an experience I'll never forget. Okay, I'm definitely going to watch it with my kids. That's super cool. That's congratulations to you. That is like very few people can be like, yeah, I was on a game show on Disney Plus. So that's really (laughs) cool. I think that's really a neat opportunity um, for sure. And then you also like you've done a lot of really cool opportunities. I feel like launched from this whole. I mean, I feel like you you really made the best of what happened, you know, to you. And and I think you, you've said like some people go viral and it's sort of like for something kind of dumb or they don't really make the most of it, but you really have. And, um, and you gave this really beautiful, which I'll link to in the show notes, TEDx talk. And, um, and I wondered, um, what it was like kind of preparing for that because, to give a really good TEDx talk, you really have to like memorize. Like, if you, am I right in saying like you have to like memorize your material? So, um, I had no idea what that experience was going to be like. And um, when the TED, TEDx people reached out to me, they said they were doing a show in New York, and um, they were looking for you know I had to apply just like anybody else, and um, they had thousands of. Um, uh, applicants and they had a theme so every ted show has a theme and so this theme was um unconventional journeys which really tied well into yeah. the story and um so i was you know so they they be, you basically have to like write a little summary of your story and what you want to talk about submit it um and i sent them like video links and you know so Luckily, I, I got in. And um, what they do is the first thing they do is they they pair you up with uh, a coach. So they TED people oh, do give you a coach. That's awesome. What a great opportunity. I would love oh to be God. paired with a coach. That's awesome. So and he was awesome. Like uh, um, his name is Bharat and um, Bharat Nam. That's his name. I don't want to forget him. Um, and he was excellent. Like so we met up twice a week. Um, I had three months to prepare. Now. The hardest part of this was not it was it's not so much writing because I love to write and I feel like I'm a pretty strong writer. Um, but it was me taking I, I'm, a, I'm a very uh, charismatic person. Right. So when I go on stage and I speak to crowds, I just speak from my heart. I, I, I never write my speeches down. I never have notes. I just go up there and I just speak from the heart and hope for the best. Well, you're clearly like really able to talk about passionately about your craft. I mean, that's been that's evident from this conversation. Yeah. Thank you. And so having and, and they're very the Ted the Ted folks are very, very um, adamant about um, making sure that everything is written and there's a, 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 fl- a flow, there's a process of how you write your speech and all that. And so I knew I was going to struggle with that because for me, you know, it was like, well, how do I take my feelings onto paper and like really give them that, you know, that I do on on a day to day basis, but onto paper and it's got to be structured. And I was just like, so I did struggle with that for a little bit, but then you know, Barat, uh, my coach said, he kept telling me week after week, he's like, Lewis, you, you, you're trying to be, you're trying to give too much structure. He's like, we want to hear you. We want to hear your story. And he's like, just let go. He's like, let go of, of what, you know, what the rules are. He's like, don't think of rules right now. Just, just write from your heart, speak from your heart and just write it out. And I did that. And I created my story. And he, when he first read it, he's like, this is what I'm talking about. He's like, this mm. is what you do. So now that I have my, you know, he says, we, we're going to narrow it down to nine and a half minutes. Um, so I was like, great. So I, you know, I write out my speech. The hardest part was memorizing that entire speech word 
Right. That's what I'm talking about. I know it's memorized. And then having Uh to memorize nine and a half minutes of material word for word, it's like, ah. Yeah. So you have to memorize it word for word because um, they're recording this. So if the TED folks do not like what they there could be one line that you say that goes against everything they stand for. That's it. The video is out. So everything has to be. Yeah. So everything has to be approved from the local committee before it heads to the big TED people. So nothing gets approved, like no video, any video that you see on YouTube or on their website um, was approved by official TEDx people who said, okay, this is worthy enough to be on social media. We can, yes, we can put our name on this. So it's, it's like, I have to get everything approved. And there were like a lot of things that I did have to take out and that I had to tweak a little bit. Um, to meet the standards for the TEDx folks, right? So like, for instance, I had um, way too many uh, anecdotes (laughs) in the beginning, right? When I was first writing and they're like, all right, we're gonna have to cut the anecdotes down because you got too many anecdotes. So I was like, all right, fine. So I did that. And so like, you know, you, you submit, every time I was submitting a final copy, it was getting rejected or they were moving things around a little bit and they were changing words, you know, saying, okay, you have to say it this way. You can't say it this way. I'm like, all right. So there is a structure set up for Ted for on the Ted platform. Um, that was, that was probably also a a difficult part to do in terms of writing and rewriting. I was like, all right, how am I going to rearrange my thoughts here? And then, um, so finally, once it was all finalized and I had my, my scripts, as I put it, right. My, my story, now I have to memorize this thing, and that was hard. So you know, I'm working a full time job. I'm still doing the knitting thing on the side, and I'm like focusing on TED Talk. And I was just like, I'm never gonna get this. But um, luckily enough, uh, I, I did. I, I buckled down. I took like two weeks off, and I focused in on my speech. And come the day of, I I I put. It, we had an audience of like a little over a hundred people. Um, people bought tickets for the event, and you know, because it was a smaller event, we can only have 100 people in the audience, a little over 100 people, I think it was. Um, and then everything was recorded. So now what a lot of people don't see uh, on these videos is that there's usually one or two takes before the final copy. Wow. So what happens is we we let the – well, not we, but the, the the people that are spearheading the event let the audience know that we're recording this. And if we forget a line – we have to stop, say, you know, line. And then so there's somebody sitting in the front row with your script, with your speech. So you don't start from the beginning, but you start from the line prior. Correct. Okay. So what happens is like, so we had almost, we had 10 speakers and every speaker stopped twice or three times. Okay. Like, so it's nor it's normal. So now we're ready for this. This is, this is the fun part, right? So I'm number nine. So mind you, I'm super nervous. It's hours and hours into the event. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm number nine. I'm speaker number nine. I'm like second to last. So I'm like, and as each, you know, speaker's coming off stage after they're done, they're like, oh my God, I was, I'm so relieved it's done and over with. And here I am, like, my nerves are shot. I'm like, I have to get up there in like in an hour or so. And just like, but so I get up there, long story short, I get up there, I I do my first um I do my my speech without missing a line. Wow. Wait, it gets worse. <laughs> I'm on stage and my coach is like, Lewis, don't kill us. I'm like, what? He's like, 
but your speaker, your speaker didn't go through. I mean, your, your microphone. Oh my gosh. So I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I said, he's like, no, the audience heard you through. But it didn't get recorded. It didn't get recorded. (laughs) He's like, we have to do it again. So now I'm like, Oh my God. So like, imagine as a, as a podcaster, this has happened to me (laughs) with guests and it's devastating. Abby was the worst moment at that day. I, so I, so I get up there. I'm like, I do the speech. I'm like, you know, I, I, I'm the type of person that runs on adrenaline. Right. And then it's like, it's like, it sinks. It's like, Oh gosh. So I get off stage. He's like, we have to do it all over again. And I'm like, no, I'm like, this is like my worst nightmare. And so like, so the thing is, here's the thing, right? So there are moments in my speech that, that you're supposed to laugh. And, you know, people were laughing. At, the first time. At, I, the first time. <laughs> and I go on the second time. I wasn't getting half the laughs. It was just like, I felt like it was a nightmare. But, you know, after seeing the video, I was like, oh, it came you out good. You would never like, know. My, you would never right. know. Yeah. Yeah, so in my mind, I, 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 I was like, this is the worst experience. This is going to be horrible. I'm like, but then finally, like months later, when I finally saw the video, I was like, oh, okay. It's not as bad as I thought it was going to be. I was like, all right, this is good. Wow. I'm uh, glad. I'm just really glad I asked about that because um, that's an incredible story. It was a nightmare, but it was it – was Yeah, it was but a- you know what? Like I feel like one of the things that is really um, interesting about all of these experiences, and I'm sure if we kept talking – there was many, many more is like, you learn so much about yourself and grow so much from each of them, you know, and take those experiences forward into what you do next. And so that's what's like, so great about all of them. You know what I mean? Like, so whatever you do, as far as appearing on video or speaking at um, a virtual event or speaking at an in-person event going forward, like you take that TEDx talk experience and working with your coach and, and memorizing and all the rest, like writing and, you know, you take it with you and, and I'm sure it helps in so, in so many ways. It really does. And, and it, and it, and I, I felt like I, I, I grew as an artist, as, you know, just being more disciplined with myself, right. Um, you know, having structure in my, more structure in my life, um, you know, going through that TEDx experience and, 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 and putting myself on a schedule really helped me out, you know, even, you know, business wise. Um, so it definitely was, was a moment in my life that, you know, it was, I, I look back at it and, and there are many moments that I laugh about it. There were moments that I cried, um, where I felt like I wasn't going to be able to do this. I was like, what did I get myself into? I'm too late in this game to like back out. Like I went through all that. I went, I really did go through all those emotions, during that process. And, you know, my advice to folks that may be going through that similar process is I tell them, hang in there, hang in there, because there is a silver lining in all of that. Yeah. And there is an end to all of it. And, and whether, you know, whether it, it takes, you know, a day or so or months or years from now, just wait it out. We'll you got to do process. hard. You got to do yeah. hard things sometimes. Yeah. It was rewarding. And, and like I said, you know, just don't give up. <laughs> That's my advice. Don't give up. A hundred percent. And I want to make sure we talk about um, some of the cool um, collaborations you have coming up before we get to your recommendations, because you've got some neat things on the horizon. So um, you have a collaboration coming up with Madeline Tosh that I'd love to talk about. 
That's correct. Yes. So Madeline Tosh, um, I've been working with them for for some time now. And the folks at Madeline Tosh and Jimmy Bean Wool, um, they are amazing. And they're doing wonderful things for our community. Uh, Right now, they're doing um, the the MT Community Fund, um, where they're featuring um, Gigi's, uh, Gigi Loves Orange colorway. Yeah. That's right now and um so i'm part of uh their second uh volume of patterns that they're going to be featuring for the second volume for the mt community fund um and then um i'll be releasing about six to seven patterns uh for their new chunky base triple twist um so i have some really cool um patterns coming out uh, one of them um is, is called Lanka, which is uh, a series of three accessories. It's three accessories. It's a hat, cow, reversible cowl, and fingerless mittens, all done in Fair Isle. And what I love so much about this idea of combining the three was that I was able to use four skeins of yarn, right? And with all four skeins of yarn, you're able to produce all three patterns, that's so, pretty cool. Yeah. It's cool. And, and here's the thing real quick. And I want to I wanna just highlight this real quick because I think it's important. You know, so many of us, um, we buy kits online or we go to a yarn shop and we buy these beautiful kits. And nine times out of ten, you know, we have all this leftover yarn. And I know that I've bought kits in the past and I've done the kits and I'm left with this yarn that nine times out of ten I'm not going to use again. Right. Um, if I if I do, it's like, oh, great, I can use that yarn that I used for a hat a long time ago. Um, but I was very conscious about when I was designing uh, these three accessories and putting it as a kit. I said, I want to make sure that folks get to utilize all of the yarn. And I think that's important. And I wanted to offer knitters that that experience where at the end of it, it's like, oh, wow, I used up all the yarn. It's great. There's something rewarding about that. It's just like, oh, great. It's not like you're playing chicken, you know, yarn chicken or, or you know, like you have all this leftover yarn. Um, so there is a process with my patterns. And the wonderful news is, and I guess I can mention it now, is that I will be doing a knit along in January with those three pieces. So I'm going to be teaching folks how to you know, pick out the four colors. I'm going to teach them about Fair Isle, about um, creating um, no jogs in, in, in your work and just how to incorporate the inner layer of how to cover up your, your, your floats in Fair Isle. So I'm going to be going through a, a lot with folks for, it's going to be about a month long uh, knit along where each week I produce a video on YouTube, they watch the video. And then at the end of the week, um, I do a live Zoom call with everyone on that particular piece. So it's going to be a lot of fun and I'm really excited about it. Um, so I got about, like I said, six to seven different patterns coming out for the Madeline Tosh triple twist. Um, and I'm really excited about that. Um, and then I have, uh, lady dye yarn. She comes out with like a monthly subscription where she has a theme for each month. Um, so she reached out to me and I've worked with her in the past and she decided she wanted to do, uh, the musical rent. So I was like, huh, what can I do with rent? How can I design something with rent? So um, if anybody out there is a rent, fa- uh, you know, rent musical fan, um, that song, um, Seasons of Love, when they say 525,600 minutes. So I, des- I designed a Fair Isle hat 
with the number 525,600 in the front and the back of the hat. So I'm really happy. Yeah, so like it's like a number that you see and the minute you say it out loud, it's like five hundred twenty five thousand six hundred like, oh that's from rent. And like I I I, I did the test and I, I called like a, a couple of friends and I said, I'm gonna say something to you and I wanna see what your thought is. And they're like, Okay, so I start saying five hundred twenty five thousand six hundred and I stop. And they finish it minutes, and it's like they started singing the rest of the song. I was like, "You got it!" And, like, and I was so excited because I was afraid that people wouldn't get what I was trying to do with this specific design. So she's like, "Why did you just say that number?" And I was like, "Because I'm designing a hat with that number on it." And my friend, who's like a big musical fan, she's like, "Oh my god, you already know I got it the minute you said the number." And she's like, "That's brilliant." She's like, "Yeah, if I like." If you were to like, and I made sure I didn't sing it. I just said it. I was like five hundred twenty-five thousand six hundred. She's like minutes. <laughs> Starts so I'm really excited about that. So that's a collaboration that's coming next month, actually. Um, so we'll be releasing um that club kit uh coming um in I believe end of November. Awesome. Into, yeah. And I want to make sure we get to your recommendations, Liz. So do you have um? Something creative that you would recommend to a creative friend who might be listening and would love to to try something new? Yeah, so two things, actually. Um, one of them is tie-dyeing. I actually got into a little bit of tie-dyeing, um, which is a lot of fun. And I, t- I kind of tested out something with ice cubes. So for oh, all you guys... Oh, yes. I did this this summer, ice-dyeing. Yeah much fun so i recommend it try some tie-dyeing it's a lot of fun um but um one of the things i discovered i discovered well not discovered but i want to say i got back into the summer uh was bike riding now as many of you know we're all in the middle of this pandemic and i think it's it's important to find um an escape and what i mean by escape from and i'm talking i'm going to be honest with you escape from from just everything that's happening is is to find something physical to do. Um, I know I needed to get like my body moving. I needed to get more stimulation, with, you know, other than my brain. I, I needed to get that physical stimulation um, that I that I needed. I, we're all at home. We're all hunkering down, and I get it, right? Um, but I, I I rediscovered bike riding, and I hadn't rode, ridden a bike in so many years, and. I invested in a bike this year, this past summer, and I just started riding and found a, a sense of freedom on my bike that is different than even my sense of freedom from knitting. And I can't explain it. It's just like this this escape. I call it my escape, right? And and I again, you know, sometimes we need our knitting to escape from, you know, our everyday lives, right? Whether we're going through an issue and some of us like to run to our knitting. Um, but I, did, I rediscovered bike riding and, and found that, you know, bike riding um, helps me in a different way. You know, yeah. it, it just it, it increases the blood flow. It increases, you know, it's making me move. I'm like even breaking a little bit of a sweat helped me out. And I was just like, wow, it feels good to be physical. Right. Um, so, you know, get on your bikes, you know, pedal away, ride around the neighborhood. Um, you know, yeah, wear your mask, you know, wear don't. You know, a lot of people, you know, we all have our, our issues. A lot of people have a lot of issues with the mask and, and you know, physical activity. Um, just practice, you know, practice with safe, you know, and, and make sure, if you know, if you're riding around an area that there's nobody around, then it's okay to lower your mask, you know, get that fresh breath of air in there. 
um, you know, if you're riding around where there's other bikers, be respectful, you know, and, and I think that's important for all of us to adhere to. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I think like during the pandemic, um, you know, sewing and knitting really took off and people being at home baking bread, but, but bike riding, you know, it was hard to even find a bike. People were totally buying bikes. It's so interesting, like which industries really um, saw a boon. And um, I think you're not alone is what I'm saying in finding bike riding to be a wonderful escape during this time when we've been at home so much. So I think that's a great recommendation. And um, getting that physical exercise is like such a, a natural boost to mood too. So yeah, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. And it doesn't even have to be biking. It could be walking around the neighborhood. Oh, yeah, totally. Skating, whatever, skateboard, scooter, whatever it is. Just get out there, get, get that fresh air in, in, into your lungs. You know, I think it's important. Um, you know, yeah, if you have a backyard, maybe run around the backyard a little bit, see what happens. Totally. <laughs> but it's important that we have a little bit of that that physical activity as well. Well, Lewis, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you so much, Abby. Thank you. I appreciate that. And you've been listening to the Craft Industry Alliance podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today's episode was sponsored by Jimmy Beans Wool. Jimmy Beans Wool believes that creating your next project should be simple, fun, and effortless. Their family of brands, including Texas hand dyer Madeline Tosh, Smart Sticks Needles that measure on the go, and the always cute and coveted Delacue Bags, Make making look and feel good too. Enjoy super fast shipping, award-winning customer service, and free U.S. shipping for Craft Industry Alliance customers at jimmybeanswool.com slash craftindustryalliance. Thank you so much, Jimmy Beans Wool. Craft Industry Alliance is a community for craft professionals. And when you become a member of Craft Industry Alliance, you get in-depth coverage of craft industry news, the opportunity to connect with fellow professionals for advice and support, and access to an educational library filled with ideas, tools, and resources to help you as you build your business. Join us at craftindustryalliance.org. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next time.